It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner with a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. You're aware, Anthony Weiner, this was the first heavy metal band appeared at Woodstock in 69, led by Leslie West, Felix Papoyardi, Corky Lang on drugs, and Leslie West was from where? Forest Hills. Although his name was not West, I think it was Westine or something <laughs> like that, a booker boy grew up in Forest Hills. To suddenly play a guitar, and his booby and Zeta was saying to him, and for this, we sent you to shul so that you get up on a stage with the goy and play guitar? And right down the block, Joey Ramon grew up in Forest Hills. That's right. Wow, you see, aficionado. Uh, I see you have a brand new uh, show. Congratulations. But before we talk about that and the new name of your show, a little bad news for you, Anthony Weiner. I, I, I got to rain on your uh, your parade here. You're a tried-and-true Met fan, right? Yeah, we talked about the top. They had a, t- a tough loss yesterday. You will have images of potentially uh, being in the World Series. Okay, I, I believe so. But the curse of the Mets is upon them. You may not have seen the headlines, but your ace, Max Scherzer, yeah, just got bit by his dog. So he's on the shelf for a while. Wait a minute. Scherzer, he was out. He had a... A quad injury or an oblique injury? You mean now he's been bitten by a dog? Yes. And then your other uh, ace, right, at shortstop Lindor, supposedly slammed, <laughs> slammed the door. His on his the door. Yeah, yeah, sure he did. <laughs> and DeGrom, who is your real ace. He's coming back. I know. Slowly but surely. Threw off the mound the other day. But, but I don't know what it is about the Mets. It's the curse of the New York Mets that upon you. It's, over. it's the Will Ponzi's. When they, when they had City Field We have a built. different financial criminal in charge now. And, and no, you, a, and, and you built a shrine to the Brooklyn Dodgers, not even to the New York Mets. <laughs> it's, it, but it's all better now. We have a, a different owner with ill-gotten gains. A whole, it's a whole different type of, of... Steve Cohen. But let me give you some other bad news, although it's good news. Uh, it was a false alarm. Apparently, an aircraft had uh, entered into the no-fly zone near where President Joe Biden and his wife are at their vacation home along the uh, Delaware shore. The Delmarva Peninsula, I think they call it. He was immediately evacuated into the basement, a place he's very familiar with because during the general election against then-President <laughs> Donald Trump, he spent most of his time there. So it's not a place that is foreign to him. So you have not seen the update. You know, I'm getting to watch the big screens here at the beautiful studios overlooking Third Avenue. Apparently, the plane was pulling one of those banners that they have that they fly along the beach with. And it said, let's go, Brandon. And so they rushed him downstairs so he wouldn't have to see it. Or maybe it was a promo for Tom Cruise (laughs) and uh, Maverick, uh, the knockoff of Top Gun. (laughs) I'm impressed he has a basement in, in a beach house. That's He's doing okay for himself. No, no. I mean, that is very rare because if you're near the beach, yes, unless your your house is elevated because you fear beach erosion, you know, obviously hurricanes, it's hurricane season. A lot of those in Broad Channel. Right. A, lot of, a lot of those raised houses. Uh, but in Delaware, I don't think they've raised their houses yet. But somehow he has that basement, which 
saved his run for the presidency because every time. He, by the way, he wasn't in Rehoboth. Be enough with this. He was in Rehoboth then. He was in the other part of Delaware, Wilmington, or wherever it is that that he lives. You know, he would go back and forth every day after votes when he was in the Senate. He was on the Acela all the time going back. Now he takes the helicopter, apparently. Yeah, yeah. What, what is it, 30 minutes to Wilmington, Delaware? It's, a, it's an yeah. easy ride. Meantime, Amtrak, it was an easy ride for Joe Biden to go from D.C. to Wilmington. And for us to go 30 minutes, right, uh, just out in the Rockaways, imagine from Howard Beach to the last stop, Mott Avenue, it takes an hour and 30 minutes. Right. Because, you know what, a lot of, I tell you, a lot of people here on the mainland, which is what people in Rockaway call where we're sitting, even though we're an island also, but they, they don't realize that there's one track on that A going in both directions. You can't make an express track. If a, a train, you you got to stack them up and go them one at a time. So it really can't get in. It's one of the arguments I made for ferry service there. But some people have suggested what you really should do is widen the trade uh, the, 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 the train track out there so that you can um, get an express through there. And other people, you might not be hip to this controversy. There was always this idea what's called the Red Apple Line or something, a, an old train line that went north and south through Queens. Yeah, it used to be the old Long Island Railroad right. line. The, the Apple Spur, I think yeah. they called it. Yeah, they should have revived that. They yeah, didn't. be careful. If you want to run for office again, you've got to be careful at your position on this because now it would be going through people's backyards. It's easy to say, let's revive well, it. It's not a matter of just, just, of just knocking the weeds look, out. You, now you, you, be... you believe in gl- global warming, climate change. You know another super storm Sandy is coming. So everyone's going to get wiped out out there anyway, well, according know. to you. But, Eva, but this one goes, you, you know, the, um, the, 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 the big high rises in, in Forest Hills. Yes. The Crescent. Yes. Crescent? Is that what it's called? The Crescent. It goes right through their parking lot, too. But that would be great if we had a fast train line. That went in and out of Rockaway. Well, you're right. They're, they're the, I, I've walked along those tracks from Forest Hills. It goes all the way to the Rockaways. And then there's the other line. We'll talk about him later. Uh, Jerry Nadler has always said there needs to be a cargo train container line that goes from Jersey right through Brooklyn. There's that one line there that goes right through Borough Park, totally unused. It's like a garbage right. dump. But now all of a sudden, Carolyn Maloney is accusing Gerald Nadler of being a sexist. They've loved each other for 30 years. They because, he's side running, side. because he's running against her. Yeah, how do you oh, like this that? Is, uh, they, these two, I can't get enough of these two. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sounds like something that she would say. This is going to get, you know, the, the more I look at that, I, I don't know why Jerry Nadler didn't run in that other district to the south. But this is going to be a very chippy race. It's, it's going to be a very, they're going to go at each other. They don't like each other. Everyone thinks, oh, my God, these partners in government for so long, they've never liked each other. I remember press conferences about the 9-11 victims where they would be elbowing each other and blocking out each other under the rim and everything else. They 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 do not like each other. Well, but they were part of the second tier because nobody bogarted your mentor, Senator Chuck Schumer. He was always the first up there. He had the sharpest elbows of all. Admit it. It was like roller derby with Chuck up there. Chuck uh, Chuck was 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 good. You know, um, it, we there used to be a congressman in uh, in Brooklyn named Ed Towns, and Ed Towns he would do this trick where whenever there would be a photograph, a posing for a photograph, he would make sure to have his arm in the picture because he knew that a photo editor could not cut off an arm and they would have to include him. So he would would say, I'll stay as far out as I can, but then he would reach over to the middle of the picture like to pat someone or to put his hand in the middle because he knew they couldn't edit out his Uh, photograph. It was pretty clever. By the way, uh, there was uh, Ruth Messenger who ran for mayor against Rudy Giuliani the second time. You talk about somebody who was uh, playing roller derby and elbowing people out for a photo op. Chuck Schumer, Ruth Messenger, 
Jerry Nadler, and Carolyn Maloney. You're leaving out the biggest. Oh, you. Mark, Mark Green. Hey, and you. Well, I was okay, but Mark Green, That's oh, my true. goodness gracious. They, that guy, he, he practically brought a, a camera crew with him wherever he went, you know, just, just to keep him comfortable. But, yeah, but those are, those are uh, nowadays, by the way, as you know, because you were out on the, on the campaign trail, it's, you don't get six or seven cameras coming to anything. I mean, even if you, you announce you're going to light your hair on fire, they, they, it, it's, it's completely different. I remember about 10 years ago when the news station started sharing cameras, like, you know, you basically knocked out all these jobs. But, uh, yeah, but there's, there's like, but, but Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney are going to be at each other. It is going to be like the WWE. It's going to be wrestling. Well, there. you know, for years in Massachusetts, it was the term live with John Kerry. Because John Kerry, then U.S. Senator, was a master of going live at five uh, in Boston, in the common, you know, all the cameras would be there, live with John Kerry. Well, now in New York City, we have Eric Adams. It's live with Eric Adams all day long. It's one big press conference, uh, a.m., p.m. to the wee hours of the morning. But he had a press conference the other day, and maybe you can explain this, because he still hasn't uh, gotten hold of this uh, crime problem here in New York City. It's higher than it was during the de Blasio years. So he decided, I'm going to appoint a gun czar. And with a lot of pomp and ceremony uh, outside of City Hall, he uh, was surrounded by these violence interrupters who were funded by the city, the state, and the federal government. And he appointed Andre Mitchell, uh, who is the, uh, in charge of this group, man up in East New York, a guy who did time for manslaughter upstate, dealing drugs, has received millions of dollars in city contracts, but has not filed any tax returns on that with the attorney general, which you have to do every year in three years. So naturally, the, the reporters were giving him heat. It's sort of like, hey, i got to ask you a question about this, Andre Mitchell. And this was his response. Uh, I have yet to be able to get a proper political interpretation But nobody knows politics in New York City better than you. You were weaned on it, Anthony Weiner. Tell me what the mayor said about his new gun czar, Andre Mitchell. But here's the uniqueness of this. Y'all trying to define the way y'all do things the way us. We don't do the one, two, three, one, two, three dance. We do the boogaloo. So you're trying to say, well, what's this, what's this, what's this? You don't understand. This is not how we operate. You know, this is like a different way. If you're trying to stop someone that's carrying a gun that doesn't have a home to sleep in, don't have anything to eat, living in the shelter, and you start, try to go to them and say, well, you know what? I got this philosophical principle that I learned in my theoretical class. Man, people will say, get out of my face. Now, that's about as street as you can get. He went ghetto on the press corps. They got very intimidated when he did that in defense of his new gun czar, Andre Mitchell. Well, maybe you can give us, like, a political interpretation of that. First of all, I understood exactly what he was saying. Oh, good, good. Because I, as a citizen of New York and as a political animal and as the host of The Middle every Saturday from 2 to 3, I hope you like the name, I one of the things I'm in the middle of is the cultural milieu, which is a French word, here in New York. So I'm going to explain to you what he's saying, and it's not wrong. It's basically, look. You've got this situation, and John Katzenteis talks about this all the time, that there's a relatively small number of people who are doing these criminal things. One way to do them is try to find them and arrest them. I think we got to do that, and I think the mayor wants to do that. One way to do that is once you arrest them, you keep them in prison, appropriate for their for the time that they that they should be doing, and you don't give them no, no cash bail if they're dangerous, both all things that Adam supports. 
A third thing to do is try to find them in ways and stop them from using their guns and stop them from engaging in gang activity in ways that maybe the police are not very good at. Maybe the 38,000-odd men and women who are wearing uniforms, wearing guns, wearing tasers, and everything else are not going to be able to find them. But men and women in the community who know where these people are, who know where they live, who are not willing to perhaps share that information with the police, but are perhaps willing to share it with someone who is more closer to their cultural experience and their actual experiences – that's what this guy. So what the mayor is saying there is, yes, you don't get this because it's a little bit different than just lock them up and throw away the key. It's another approach. More power to him. Try any approach that you want. But it better work. Wait a second. You extrapolated all of that. Yes. You're welcome, uh, Maestro America. at the board. I just want you to play the beginning of it about the one, two, three dance versus the boogaloo. But here's the uniqueness of this. Y'all trying to define the way y'all do things the way us. We don't do the one, two, three, one, two, three dance. We do the boogaloo. All right. Now, you extrapolated all of that from we don't do the one, two, three dance. I am surprised at you, Curtis. All right. This has been a while, but at PS39, we had um, a dance festival every year where all the classes participated and did their own dance. And what popular one was always the Charleston. Now, wait a second. You probably were dancing the horror. There's no, no doubt no, about that. No, 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 this is a This is a public school. Oh, you can't have any me. any horrors oh, in the public school. Okay. We, But we did have the Charleston. Okay? Two steps back, one step all this. Oh, that's, that's the dance that Frank Morano loves, the oldest young guy in America. Yes, Frank Frank Rano, who he just he, I think he just turned seventy six this week. By the way, he will be following us today with the best of Frank Morano, which I think you're featured on. Wait a minute, we have to talk about this at some point. You, I, you cannot shake a dead cat recently without hitting you on the radio. What is going on this week? I heard you overnights. I heard you sitting next to me. You are on. You are, you are on from noon from noon to one where you belong. I don't understand. You, do you have a life beyond this place? Do you no, have- look, look, look in the New York Post today. John and Margot Katzmatidis, owners and operators of Red, Me- Red Apple Media, our parent company of WABC, took out a full-page ad just to be able to list all the different shows that I do now on WABC. Yes. And the caption at the top said, WABC always broadcasting. There, there it is. A I full mean, page. Totally. That's totally what's, it doesn't what's, get any better than that. That's 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 exactly right. I, I, I forget what we're talking about, but I well, I was trying to explain the one, two, three boogaloo piece. And by the way, I'm glad you're coming to me to be to translate all of this. Well, you're Brooklyn. I'm Brooklyn, and I think you're recognizing that I am kind of like Eric Adams Google Translate. That's what I. That's the service. I know, but is that's this the service I can for do. the old out the cockers who go on those cruises and they do the electric glide. Right. You know, on on the ship. Perfect deck. example. So the old out the cockers do the electric glide, which they're doing slide. one, two, the three, slide. one, two, three, slide, right. whatever. Uh, and he's doing the boogaloo, which is raising the roof uh, to the wee hours of the morning at Club Zero Bond, you know, hanging out with the TikTok girls and trying to keep up with the Kardashians. Is that the difference? Essentially, it's. Classical music against jazz. All right. Now, speaking of music, I have a few um, pieces of advice for this uh, new title that is encapsulating your one hour where you go solo every Saturday from 2 to 3, The Middle with Anthony Weiner. 
Now, Friday was National Donut Day. So I'm thinking to myself, is this like a jelly donut, a Boston cream donut, a calazone, you know, what's in the middle, or bowling? Because that's the national sport of uh, Polish people, sparkle ball. And the idea in bowling is you roll it right down the middle for a strike, not a spare. Is that the whole concept well, on your show? See, the beauty of this name, and this is, you know, a Chad Lopez special, the beauty of this name is that you can – Use it for anything. For example, we are in – this is the middle of the conversation with Anthony Weiner or this is the middle of your Saturday with Anthony Weiner, or it's the middle of a controversy or the middle of a news story or it's just, you know, I got other things to do and this guy's right in the middle of it talking whatever he's talking about. Uh, it's those types of things. Now, unfortunately, the way you characterize it, the middle of the donut is famous for having nothing in it. Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, no. I gave you the benefit of the doubt. I said it was a jelly donut, (laughs) right? (laughs) A Boston cream donut. A calazon. You know, there was some stuffing in there. I was telling the listeners earlier that you suggested the muddle with Anthony. Yes. That's not the – no, that's not the – now, one thing I do want to make clear, though, I am not a middle-of-the-road type of person. I may be trying to see the other side. And maybe there is this idea, I will meet you in the middle on this conversation. But I'm a – I'm a pretty progressive, partisan, Democratic guy, and I don't expect people that call into the show to be in the middle themselves. Well, is this uh, sort of like a Scoop Jackson Democrat, a Blue Dog Democrat, a Bill Clinton moderate Democrat? I am not. I I, I think I defy all of those labels. But um, the good thing about the title, The Middle, is it does give us an opportunity to kind of define it as we go. Now, you and I have been talking for months now that left versus right is not really what we do. No, it doesn't work here. I mean, this, this, you know, I, mean, I can't be pigeonholed because I'm all over the map. That's true. You're you're all over the map. And frankly, left versus right. It has this very old fashioned. So maybe that we it's like should crossfire. Remember with Pat Buchanan crossfire. and his adversary on the left, whoever that person was that he would smack around. <laughs> I, on forget. I forget. What was Hannity's guy called? Uh, Alan B. Combs. Combs, that's oh, right. Oh, we miss him so yes. much. He was a fixture here yeah, at WABC, right, especially right. overnight radio, where he was a master of theater of the mind. He was very mom. good. He was very good. I did radio with him a couple of times. I, I, I was on his show. I didn't I didn't uh, share a host or anything, but... But yeah, but yeah, we'll 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 see. You and I have to have to. Maybe we can let the listeners, you know, kind of come up with some I ideas. I think I have the perfect theme song for you because nobody has a more eclectic musical uh, library that I uh, air out here on WABC all the hours that I'm on than yours truly. And I have found the perfect song for you. Obviously, your taste and my taste musically clash. By the way, The Clash did write a song about the Guardian Angels called Red Angel Dragon, (laughs) the ultimate counterculture group. But there is a song. You probably don't know it. It's an EDM classic, electronic dance music, which is my favorite. Uh, You're an EDM guy? Oh, totally. I love EDM more than I love disco or R&B. But uh, the, the chorus of this is, why don't you just meet me in the middle? This is the chorus. And it's by Zed. Zed is the DJ, and actually yes. they have other performers and singers. I'm familiar with the song. But this is what you're – because in your conversations with our many WABC listeners, you're basically saying to them, why don't you just meet me in the middle? I know the song. Rich, we don't have it back there by any chance, do we? No, no, no. It's not on our playlist. Right. I'm, I'm but, sorry. I mean, it's – I mean, I didn't know the EDM. I mean, as you know, one of the real fixtures at these EDM clubs – is our own John Katzmatidis. He is like burning up the dance floor in these EDM, uh, these EDM clubs. But 
I I mean I, I like that song, but I'm not I'm not asking people to move to the middle. I'm just saying that that's where we are trying to have the conversation. We'll see. I mean, look, it's we've had this we've had this title one week in a row. So let's see if it's by the way for next week. You spoke of John Kachimatidis and the Kachimatidis family. They will be leading the Greek Independence Greek Indi- Parade yeah. tomorrow. It's been revived after two years being on the shelf because of the pandemic and the lockdown. Sixty-first and fifth, right at about one o'clock, people can assemble, and there'll be the baklavas, the souvlakis, and if you happen to be able to break plates as you march along right. Fifth Avenue in tribute to the Greeks, you can have some ouzo at the end of it, and let's see if you can actually walk straight after that. Now they used to have a breakfast at the pl- at the plaza right before it. I don't know if that still happens now that the. Now that the Chinese or the Saudis own the plaza. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, parade season well underway, and you have not paraded until you've paraded with Greek Americans. That's, that's, that's a parade, boy. Oh, it will be live broadcast here on WABC Sunday from 1 to 3. And then i got to run back here to the studio because it's then Curtis Lewa from uh, of course three to five. Of course it is. Before I come back after uh, uh, <laughs> of course it is. Uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo and the Sinatra Two Hours stuff. Next they're going to have this inflatable Curtis Sliwa uh, 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 you know, mannequin that could kind of like from, from Airplane when they had the pilot, the exactly. inflatable pilot. Exactly. Anyway, you don't want to go anywhere. I'm joined at the hip with Anthony Weiner. It's left versus right. Your place to be. If you missed any of this, you just go on the podcast and many podcasts at WABC at WABCradio.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, there's superstitions galore when you come out of the locker room and you jump on the ice at Madison Square Garden. Uh, As uh, a member of the New York Rangers, you've had some really bad seasons. I've suffered with the Rangers. I'm a tried-and-true Ranger fan. And then this year, everything seems to be coming together. I know you more than any other sport. You love hockey, uh, uh, Anthony Weiner. But we got a potentiality of a Stanley Cup winner here in the New York Rangers who have just beaten the uh, Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Lightning. They won the Cup two years in a row. Back-to-back, belly-to-belly, first time 6-2. They were, like, swarming on that goalie. And then last night, I think it was, what, 2-zip, they shut out uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning? It was 3-2 last night. They, They held on a little bit of a flurry at the end by Tampa. I got to tell you, I am not a Ranger guy, and during the season, I thought that they were being held up by their goaltending. Their goaltender, they have a a statistic, gold saves above expected, which is this advanced advanced statistic, and Shosturkin had 32 goal saves, something like that, which comes out like 10 games just on his own that he wound up getting them. They're a good team. And, and the thing is about the team is that they have gotten a lot better as the season has gone on. They had some good acquisitions at the trade deadline. They're good. Well, let me ask you a question. You played goalie, right? 
Yes, sir. All right. So you know this subject better than anybody. So you got Igor Shesterkin. You just mentioned the Shesterkin, right. uh, number 31 for the Rangers. He's from Russia, came out of the Moscow Leagues, played for the national team. His adversary, Andrea Vasilevsky, number 88 for Tampa, the Stanley Cup champions, he's Russian. They were uh, goalies on the Russian national team. They shared the nets. You know, one guy would come in, the other guy would go out. In the midst of the 100-day level of this war, Putin's war against the Ukraine, Zelensky, I got to, how come the entire sports uh, uh, coverage crew, ESPN, uh, WFAN, and others haven't been all over Igor and Andrea as to whether they are loyal to uh, Putin or not? Well, much, it's, it's, look, this did come up. Because famously, Alexander Ovechkin, the most prominent Russian player in the NHL, he used to have Putin as his profile picture on his Twitter account. He's a very pro-Putin guy. Now that was uh, Washington Capitals? Washington Capitals. He is on his way. An amazing season is on the way to breaking the all-time goal-scoring list, uh, goal-scoring uh, um, a title. Um, he was very pro, pro-Putin. pro And we have another player, uh, Panarin, on the Rangers who is someone who has been famously anti-Putin back in the home country, so much so that he had to take some time off during this season um, to deal with a family matter of no one knew exactly what it was, but it had something to do with him making sure his family was safe. Yeah, he went in the gulag, probably. Probably. And by the way, the third goalie in town, Ilya Sorokin, the goaltender for the Islanders, arguably the second-best goalie in the NHL this year, he's Russian. This is the golden age of Russian goalies. The NHL is different than other sports because unlike maybe tennis or performing at the at the Met, you know, players are integral. It's a very international sport, and it's not, you know, there's in no way is Panarin playing for Russia right now. In no way. Now, if the Russian team, the Russian team was excluded from the World Juniors recently, they were in, in, excluded from the World 18 and Unders, all of the international tournaments that you go representing a team, they have been excluded from. But I don't think anyone thinks that the politics of the moment internationally um, should extend to individual players any long, any more than it should an individual Russian person who happens to be here in the United States. Ah, I'm wondering if they did uh, dis and dismiss Putin, especially with the whole world watching the Stanley Cup uh, finals. Uh, would this somehow make it so that they can never return to Mother Russia again? Well, you want here. Here's something you can do if you have some time to kill when you're not on the air here for nine hours a day. Go go to YouTube and look up. Every so often, Putin will go out and skate. Yes. With a KHL team, which is the the the, the Russian hockey, league, or sometimes just you know go out recreationally and watch the other players. They don't touch him. He scores like 30 goals. It's like one of these things like Kim Jong-il in, in, uh, in, in North Korea. It is hilarious. He takes his hockey seriously. Although, and goes in. this year he did not join them. He didn't. Which Actually, was uh, another sign that people said he's going to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got all kinds of diseases, cancers. He, Look he, at his head. He it's ha- swollen. He hasn't been seen riding bareback on a, you know, bare, bare shirt on a bareback horse or anything like that recently. But it is. There hasn't been a lot of talk about uh, you know, even though it's a league with a lot of Russians. And that's another thing, by the way, about the Rangers. The Rangers are a very international team. They have Finns. They have Swiss. They have Czechs. They have, they have. I mean, they're, they're, they're I mean. Uh, um, uh, Look, it was so much better for me when I was a kid. There were six teams, six teams alone, 
two in Canada where hockey was king. The Montreal Canadiens, the Flying Frenchmen. You had the Toronto Maple Leafs. You had Bobby Hull and Stan Mikita with the Chicago Blackhawks. Gordie Howe with the Detroit Red Wings. You had Bobby Orr with the Boston Bruins. And then for the Rangers, you had the Cat, known as the Cat. Emil Francis, Francis was the coach. Jockerman in goal. You had uh, Nielsen, who was the native Indian, who was a defenseman. Harry, uh, Harry, who was the uh, the uh, captain at the time. Silverhead, Harry Howe. And then the line was Rattel, Hatfield, and naturally Gilbert. And they were losers at that time. But they were the love of my life in NHL they hockey. They went through, but I got to tell you, the, the, the league is a lot more international and a lot bigger. They're doing a lot better. One thing about this Final Four in the Stanley Cup, you can have any of these teams go to the final, and you'll have a great story. You've got you've, you've got you've got McDavid, arguably the the best player that any of us have seen in a very long time. You've, the, the, the Colorado they they could really do a lot of harm by going up three nothing today. It, it's got, I hope I hope more people listen. We I would watch never hockey. in our life have thought there would be hockey in Florida. When we come back, we have to discuss the exodus to Florida from New York, the exodus out of California. And the fact that there are a lot of states now, red states, who are saying, don't leave because you're going to turn us into a purple state, maybe even a blue state, like the very one that you are continuing your exodus from and the complications and ramifications for national elections in the future. Exclusively, it's Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. And if you couldn't uh, sort of catch us all two hours, Anthony first solo, and then I join them uh, at the 3 o'clock hour, just go to WABCradio.com and get it on the podcast. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh, this is so lame. Why? Is this your choice? Yeah, I figured you'd like it. It's Elvis Presley. What is he singing about Las Vegas? Uh, that's the only song I... I can deal with with Elvis. Blue suede shoes. Get out of here. I didn't take you to be an Elvis guy. Andy. I'm doing well. Well, this is kind of a jazzed up version of it, but I'm trying to I'm trying to come halfway. I'm trying to come to the middle oh, here. I'm trying oh. to meet you in the middle. All right. Now, speaking of the middle, this week in the New York Post, interesting uh, two columns that basically were battling one another. You had a guy who is an investment uh, guy, a hedge fund guy in Manhattan saying, I'm not leaving for Florida. I'm not following a lot of my colleagues. I'm not joining the exodus, which continues. Because you know what? In five years, all of you are coming back. You know, you, you can't get flood insurance down there, hurricane insurance. The cost of living is skyrocketing. You can't find a rentable apartment, a condo. You can't find a home. You're going to be coming uh, home after five years. And lo and behold, today, what's the headline? Uh, Southern Florida underwater. So you have uh, Day County, Broward County, Palm Beach County uh, under like 12 inches of water, people right. walking around. As you know, there's no drainage down there, little schmitz, uh, and you have a flood, and there may be continued flooding. But somehow, I don't think it resonates with a lot of people who used to live with us throughout New York State or Jersey or Pennsylvania or Connecticut. I have a feeling that that exodus is going to continue. And then you had Carol Markowitz, 
who used to be a proud New York City resident, Red Hook. She and her husband raised their family there. And then she decided, no mas, no mas, enough is enough. She's down there in Florida now. So how do you see this all going? Because uh, we thought that maybe after the lockdown and pandemic, the exodus would, uh, would, would slow down, and it hasn't. It's actually accelerated. Curtis, how long have we been hearing a version of this question? People are going to leave New York because of high taxes. People are going to leave New York because of crime. People are going to leave New York because of whatever. We, I have had as, a, as an article of faith, as long as I've been representing people in New York, I know that I have snowbirds and I can reach them at a certain time. And if I wanted to go, every presidential campaign, whatever Democrat that I was supporting would co- to invite me to come down to South Florida to campaign with them. Because they knew that New York, no one was going to, it's going to be a Democratic state. But in Florida, wherever the, the New Yorkers are, you might be able to get an edge. I say this. I say the people that want to go find warm weather, if that's their cup of tea, if they want to do that, well, then go. But you, you're going to feel the consequences. You're going to be in, you're going to be stuck in Florida. And that the people who are New Yorkers through and through to their core, who can't imagine being anywhere else, those are Sliwa voters. Those are Wiener voters. That's who we are. We know that as bad as things get, as good as they get, we're going to always want it to be a little bit better. We're always going to gripe a little bit, but we can never quite visualize putting a different license plate on our car, taking out a different driver's license. We know everywhere we go, it's like a neon light over our head. We're New Yorkers. Yeah, but you know the difference now. Put yourself and myself aside. That it used to be the snowbirds would go there and they'd get like a condo or a home just so they could be there in the winter months. Before there was global warming, climate change, and you had real winters here. It would be like 40 degrees below zero. I remember the first years of Rudy Giuliani. Remember there was like snowstorms like every other week. So a person would always hedge their bet and they would have a place in Florida. They'd never go there in the summer. Too hot. The mosquitoes, they'd be schwitzing, too humid. Now, though, the exodus, I see that that's their primary residence. A lot of them are not coming back. Maybe. I don't buy it. I mean, look, a lot of it is a function of real estate economics now. Now you have a place in New York that you have the ability to sell. You're going to want to do it. Having an empty asset for a few months a year doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And I don't know if I'd miss them that much. This is might be the way that we separate the wheat from the chaff. We like we say, listen, we're we have a constant influx of people who want to be here. The in supply, the imbalance between housing demand and housing supply is always prominent. You know, I don't mind letting off a, a, a little bit of steam by letting some of these folks go to Florida. Florida, we by the way, did we have this conversation about California ten years ago too? Now California's out of vogue. I'm not worried about yeah, it. Yeah, but you see, this is the problem. Normally. States welcome uh, him, 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 migration because it's good. Look at Florida. They've gone from being behind New York and because mostly New York uh, migration into Florida. They're now the third largest state in America and growing population-wise. It's California first, Texas second, Florida third. They're not all that hip on having New Yorkers down there because they're looking at their analytics. Remember, in the last statewide races, the Republicans barely won, barely won. So it could potentially be a purple state if you have more New Yorkers uh, moving into Florida and more folks from Puerto Rico because the island continues to have problems. That balance could suddenly become a blue state. Yeah, but let's be careful. You could also have an element of self-selection. 
this governor down there, Governor DeSantis, maybe he's attracting more certain types of of, of political of 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 citizens of certain political stripes. For example, if you're left leaning uh, gay person, are you going to be inclined to move to Florida right now? Maybe not. So this might be a self-selecting thing. You might be only selecting Republicans to to, to come down there. You no, know, no, he's you know. So it's I think it's I think you can make too much of these migration patterns. I know. New York continues to be the aspirational place that when someone wakes up around the world and they say, I want to go to the United States, they're thinking of New York. And that's our strength. It will always be our strength. The ones that leave, the weak leave, in my view. That's who leaves, the weak. The strong stay and our DNA gets stronger and stronger generation by generation. You keep thinking that, Anthony. You keep thinking that, Butch. Now, let's look at California. Uh, Double our population, 40 million, but people are abandoning ship in California and running all throughout the Southwest uh, and to places like Colorado. And they just packing their bags. It's like the reverse of the the, the grapes of wrath. Remember Henry Fonda (laughs) loading up the Okies in the pickup truck because of the Dust Bowl, and they wouldn't let him in in California. They wanted to keep the Okies out. Now it seems like people are leaving in massive numbers out of California I mean, the, the state is a hot mess. You're looking at potentially $10 a gallon. There were fires in the forest a lot earlier than they ever uh, took place before, going a lot longer. There will probably be brownouts and blackouts like they've had before. That was Gray Davis, the governor, led to the recall they brought in Schwarzenegger. It's just problem after problem after problem. And those states out there saying the same thing. Don't come to our state because if we're a purple state – it makes us blue. If we're a red state, it makes us purple. So these two states, New York and California, because of the exodus, could change the political map of a lot of, of states across America. Well, what Remember, these immigration waves are kind of a little bit like macroeconomics. They, people do things, and then, it, then they have a reaction because the quality of life is not what they think, or the tax burden is too high, or the, the environment is not what they like. And so people stop migrating. In fact... Our loss of our loss of population is now slowed, and now it's compared to where it was in the past decades. We would lose two and three seats. Now we only lost one seat in the census this year. I think that people are smart. People go where they feel comfortable, and something else has happened. You know, starting in the 1960s, air conditioning happened. So suddenly, parts of the world that they would never think about moving, and the swamps that they. And by the way, it's part of the reason why. By a lot of people think that Congress has gotten so out of control with the number of laws they pass as it's too comfortable to be there. It, Washington was built on a swamp because they figured no way anyone would want to come here that much. So people in favor of a weak central government knew what they were getting when they built the Capitol in Washington. It's the same way with migrations everywhere else. People are going to go where they think education is the best. Jane Jacobs, Jane Jacobs argued this. Richard Florida wrote a book, The Rise of the Creative Class. They said the things you should do. Look for places that have good mass transit, as as you would agree with, people that have good cultural institutions, good educational institutions, and then workers will want to be in those places because when they're done with work, they want to be able to go to a museum, they want to go to a nightclub that they like, they want to be able to get around on mass transit. That's always going to be New York's advantage. If you just want warm weather, then yes, there's going to be other places to go. Well, let's speak of what's happening here in New York City. Two people who might have retired a long time ago have decided – like most people in uh, government, until death do they part. Uh, they are poster children for term limits. Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney. They've been in uh, the House. They were your colleagues. They've been there for 30 years. And because uh, of the shrinking congressional maps, 
Uh, they are now competing in the same district. Gerald Nadler say, no, 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 I'm not going to Brooklyn and running that district. That pretty much has cut out most of Manhattan except the lower end. I'm running in this district. I'm on the west side. You're on the east side, Carolyn. Let's get it on. And the uh, lifelong friends, at least they looked uh, to be friends on the outside. And now she's accusing him of being a sexist. You're a sexist because you won't stand out of my way and allow me to be the queen of the roost. Yeah, I don't know where the sexism comes into this. I mean, look, at this point, these guys have both been around a long time. They've got things in their record they should be proud of. They're now competing in the way that politicians do. For example, Carolyn Maloney announced she's going to do an investigation of of the president's son-in-law getting all this money from Saudi Arabia, apropos of a previous conversation here. Jerry Nadler is going to run around looking for someone else to impeach. They're going to work. They're going to work hard. I I've said this on your show. I said this when I was on the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. I think if there was a little bit more time, this would be a place where a third candidate can come in and say, "You guys are both yesterday's news." The Republicans are probably going to take over the House, so it's not a function of preserving seniority anymore. Now we should turn over a new leaf. Um, but I'm going to enjoy watching this. I'm, I, you know, they, they, they. I don't like. They don't like each other. I can tell you that. All right, like two uh, scorpions in a brandy glass. Now let's go to Max Rose. He thought he was on his way to getting reelected because of the way they reconfigurated the lines. A lot of progressives from uh, from uh, Brooklyn were added to the Nicole Maliotakis district, which is mostly Staten Island. Then they undid that. Today in the New York Post, uh, in order to try to move to the center and maybe even become the most right wing of Democrats, a blue dog Democrat, he says we should investigate Hunter Biden. We should investigate Hunter Biden. So Carolyn Maloney is saying, no, we should investigate Kushner. And Max Rose, fellow Democrat, is saying, no, we should investigate Hunter Biden because he thinks that's the road to upset Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, it's going to be very tough. Remember, he, he lost in a much more favorable time for Democrats. You're right. He got in at a time when it looked like the district was going to be really gerrymandered to favor Democrats. As a matter of fact, I would argue the Rose District was probably the one that screwed the pooch for Democrats because I think that's the one the judge looked at and said, you got to be kidding me. All of that being said, yeah, I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop, I don't think most residents of Queens, uh, Queens of Staten Island and of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, think that's the best issue to use. He's actually said other things that have been kind of he's basically making the fact that he's stuck with this race, this show that he is this courageous figure. Um, He's going to have a tough time. I don't know him super well. I think he did a good job in his one term in Congress. But I would favor Maliotakis right now in terms of our handicapping. Well, now let's look at the brand new congressional district, the 10th congressional district, who hasn't announced to take on Bill de Blasio. There are like 10 elected officials at various levels who have decided they're going to run in that Democratic primary. Now, I would think, Anthony Weiner, uh, because you know that district very well, and I and others have said, gee, if you were to jump in there, you could probably beat de Blasio. His, his numbers are so down in the polls, but... With 10 people running, all Democrats in the primary, many of them uh, to the left, does this make it easier for de Blasio to win in a roller derby race like that in which there are so many contestants? No, he's dead man walking. I mean, the first poll that came out, the first public poll, had the worst possible combination of things. Not that he had 7% because, you know, but he had 7% and he's known by 100% of the district. 
He's in no shape. Now, if I was put into one of those, if I were put into a poll in the 10th, I think I'd be leading. There's no doubt. Well, I don't know if there's no doubt, but I'm just saying that I now, I don't know if that meant that I could win it, but um, yeah, when you have a 10-way, remember, I got, I think when I was elected to Congress against Melinda Katz, I think I had 28%, something like that, in a, in a, was it a four, in a four-way. Is that all? Yeah, we're about to no idea. Maybe it was a little bit more. Right, Right, maybe it was a little bit more. But you're going to win that race with 20%, 25%, but he doesn't have even that. It is remarkable how much he is hated. So if people think I'm getting, I would get in the race to jam up de Blasio. No, I mean, I think that someone like uh, Carolina, Carolina, I don't have to say your name, Rivera, who's my councilwoman, someone who's not well known, but can grow. When they, when people scroll through, I know that guy don't like him. No, that guy don't like him. I don't really know her. Okay, I'll, I'll vote for her. I think she, she could do pretty well. But oh, De Blasio's not going to oh, win that. Race. And then finally, he's back. We thought, uh, like a vampire, he was dead. The Republican congressman from Western New York who defied his party leadership and said, no, I'm for gun control, remember? The congressman, he resigned. Uh, he said, I'm not running. And within like seven hours, he realizes the deck yeah. was stacked. And you know who's jumping into that race? Paladino, right? Crazy man Carl Paladino with yeah. his baseball bat. Oh, my God. Yeah. I got to ask my buddy Kevin what's going on up there in the water in Buffalo recently. But that was what a turnaround. That guy got his, he, he, I mean, Paladino's, you know, he's, well, one, he's one taco show. I know, but remember when Hochul ran for that congressional district against Collins and lost, she, as the Democrat, had the NRA blessing because she was Annie Oakley when she was the congresswoman. I love guns. Now all of a sudden, I hate, I loathe, I despise guns. Depending on the office and the time of year, politicians flip-flop. And they, they grow, TikTok. they grow, yeah, they, they evolve. They grow, they mature. <laughs> it's all about I and me, not us and we. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. <laughs> I can live with this. It doesn't float my boat. I can live with it. I like the jangly guitar stuff. Anyway, speaking of jangly, you got a brand new spokesperson for the Biden administration. And she has unfortunately been put in a position where many times she has to come out to this national, international press corps and walk back something that the president said maybe just hours before, almost like the Dunkin' Donut. Not the Dunkin' Donut, but the Dunkin' Yo-Yo. You know, the president <laughs> yeah, the, throws yeah. the Yo-Yo out, and then she's got to pull the Yo-Yo back. Uh, don't know much about her, but apparently you know her fairly well. Who gave her her first job as a press secretary? I trained her up, and then she went on. She worked for Obama, and I want to say she worked, might have worked for John Edwards, worked for a couple of people. Yeah, Corinne St. Pierre is her name. Um, she was your spe- uh, press. She was my press secretary out in Five Thousand Q Gardens Road, and our office is there. Not for long. Not for long. She said some nice things about me, and she wrote a book. It's amazing. She already wrote a book. I, I I don't know what's going on there. I thought for a while it was orchestrated. That it was a little bit of you get a little bit of authentic Joe and a little bit of we tidied up a little here, but. Now there's a report out that he's unhappy with this. Look, it sure beats what was going on under Trump, where he's yelling his first day in the job, go out and tell the press that I had the biggest crowds ever when 
we know we didn't, and all these different things. And it's less combative, but it is a little bit surprising that they're so open about the way they do it. Now, sometimes it's even back channel kind of things. Like you remember when he said we're going to defend Taiwan, yeah. and then State Department spokesman, not on the record but off the record, said disregard that. That I did think was coordinated. That was this idea of kind of keeping the Chinese not knowing what the heck was going on. Um, but, yeah, I, I am, I'm concerned about it. I'm generally concerned about President Biden. I'm supporting him, and I hope he gets reelected. But he is enormously unpopular, and some of it might be that how can you have any clarity of message with every time you say something? Someone in your administration goes out and either undermines it or changes it. Um, I think it's very hard to have a sense of who the guy is if you don't know if what he's saying is is what the real policy of the administration so, is. So uh, because you have a lot of political experience, having worked with Chuck Schumer, having worked obviously on your own campaigns, very close, heated campaigns in which you were always under the electron microscope, what advice would you give to the staff there for the president who at times must feel we got to walk that back? We can't let this be the policy because, we're, first off, we can't do that. And secondly, this is just going to put another nail in the president's coffin. What would be the best strategy in managing him? Because he's not easy to well, manage. Well, you don't manage the, the press area and the, the staff doesn't manage the president. By the way, usually if they're going to go out to the podium and – and clean something up, it's because the president said, you got to go clean that up. Like they go into him and say, listen, you said this, you misspoke, you got to go do this. So it's not like it's they're independent entities in the government. What's happening is that, you know, President Obama, President Obama, uh, President Biden, when he was Senator Biden, when he was candidate Biden, was uh, he would have gaffes. I mean, that's all there is to it. And on one hand, you've got to just say, look, this is who the guy is. Now, one of the things, you know, we had well, – I was working as the CEO of a countertop company called Ice Stone out in the Navy Yard. And, and it was a, a beautiful product, but sometimes it had imperfections in it. And we kind of made it – look, that's part of one. You get art, you get imperfection. If I were his team, I would say, this is Joe. This is Joe. This is Joe. If he misspoke, we're going to tell you – but the president's position is what the president's position is, and we're sticking to it. That's very similar to what the Republicans had to live through, not with Bush 41, but with his son, Bush 43. I mean, Bush 43 would always have a gaffe. Just recently he had a gaffe when he was talking about the Ukraine, and he mentioned Iraq instead of Ukraine, which reminded all of us there was no weapons of mass destruction. Why the hell did you invade Iraq? Right. But I would say that Bush 43... And Joe Biden suffer from some of that same, I would call it, Vlababosia verbosa, where they can't stop themselves from hurting their own cause by what they say. Well, there's also, I mean, it's so funny. You know, people are so fickle. Remember how many complaints there would be when, how many callers would call and say, you know, all Obama does is read off the teleprompter. That's all he does. So, like, you've got that. Like, there's this critique that you're you're too rehearsed. I think there is an element, and I have not done a lot of reading about this, there is an element of Joe Biden's history with a speech impediment that has something to do with this. Like it actually sometimes he – but that's just when you you slur your speech or you say something. It does explain why you get a policy wrong. Like that's not, that's not a mistake. That's not a gaffe. You know, they say the definition of gaffe is when you accidentally tell the truth. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is your place to be every Saturday from 2 to 4. First, you get one hour solo of Anthony Weiner in his new program with a new name, The Middle with Anthony Weiner. 
And then, so nice, I come on, I'm the caboose here into the engine. And we give it to you, uh, sometimes from two points of view, or sometimes synergistically, we meet somewhere in the middle And now also. you can go take your 14 minutes off from the microphone to do your power nap, and you'll be right back in here. Oh, yeah, well, i got to hit the streets and the subways, and then I'll be back from 12 midnight to 6. Doesn't get any better than that right here at WABC, your place to be. We're on down.